LunaticMania.com. Quick Ranks, episode 54. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. As I record this, it is 11-22-2017, the 54-year anniversary of the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Americans love a conspiracy, and this is the grandest of them all. It is the holy grail for conspiracy theorists. Americans have always wanted to know, who killed Kennedy? Lee Harvey Oswald. This has been a Quick Rant, a raving lunatic media production. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star rating in the iTunes store. As always, thank you for listening. (laughs) Okay, okay. I guess that answer needs some explanation. Especially to members of my family or those who went to school with me. I was the guy who wrote a 30-page paper in high school on the Kennedy assassination. My yearbook has multiple signatures from people saying, let me know when you find out who killed Kennedy. I was Mr. Conspiracy. It was my thing. And it's all bullshit. The case was solved in hours. And the killer is exactly who it has always appeared to be. The confusion surrounding the case is what happens when the entire world kicks over an anthill. If you look hard enough at anything, mistakes are found. There are procedural errors. You will find evidence that certain assholes exceeded their authority and commandeered control of investigations. Evidence will be mishandled or maybe even lost and destroyed out of sheer incompetence. It is also what happens when certain elements realize they have a PR nightmare on their hands. What do I mean by that? Lee Harvey Oswald was a United States Marine. He attempted to renounce his citizenship and defect to Soviet Russia. America's greatest enemy at the time. This was during the height of the Cold War and he defected. He lived there and took a Russian bride. He then came home and we took him back with open arms. Think about this. Put it in today's perspective and imagine that a U.S. Marine defected to ISIS lived in Syria for a couple of years, and then returned home and assassinated a future sitting president. Future president, people. Random future president. Let's not make this um, outrageous here. The outrage from the public, though, as soon as it became known that we had let someone who defected from America to ISIS back into the country and they ended up assassinating a future president would be deafening. The FBI and the CIA had real problems here. They knew all about Oswald. They knew more about Oswald than anyone in Dallas did. They knew it within minutes. That's one of the things conspiracy theorists bring up. How did Jager Hoover already know all this stuff? Because he had massive files on the guy. He was someone on a watch list. They knew he defected. They knew when he came back that he was organizing a fair play for Cuba committee and they knew that he had radical Marxist connections at a time when being connected to radical Marxism was akin to being connected to radical Islam today. Oswald had an FBI agent assigned to him personally, James Hostie. Again, they knew all about him. 
and Oswald slipped the leash and killed the president. I have no doubt that the FBI and the CIA tried to obfuscate their connections to Oswald, not because he killed Kennedy on their order, because it would just make them look incompetent for the United States public to know how much they knew about this man who was able to kill the president. They knew he was in Dallas. They knew what his proclivities were. And he completely slipped under the radar. When you are tracking the man who assassinates the president and didn't see it coming, you bury that shit. Especially in the 60s, when information was much easier to bury. Wasn't the information age. If you couldn't get your hands on the physical file, it was very hard to get information on someone. You couldn't just Google search it. The simplest answer is usually the correct answer. Almost never is the overly complicated Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12 movie answer the real answer. In the case of the Kennedy assassination, we have two options presented to us. A whiny, bitchy, violent asshole of a man of no remarkable talent or intelligence who beat his wife routinely and once defected to America's greatest enemy, killed the president with a discount mail-order rifle that was basically the cheapest one available and the only one that he could afford. Or a multifaceted conspiracy involving rogue elements of the CIA, the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, Lyndon Johnson, the Mafia, Jack Ruby, elements of the Dallas police, and God knows how many more managed to work together to kill Kennedy, perfectly cover up the crime, and make sure that no one involved ever leaked the evidence over 54 years. It's obviously the latter. Certainly a conspiracy of that scope would stay hidden over half a century without documentation blowing it wide open. I mean, yeah, I mean, it absolutely happens all the time. This is the problem with conspiracy theories. We are 54 years in, and there is zero credible physical evidence pointing to another assassin. Only one rifle was ever recovered from Dealey Plaza. Only three shell casings were ever found. There is only one bystander who suffered collateral damage from a missed shot. Why is any of this significant? Well, let's think it through. Dealey Plaza was packed to the gills that day. It was so packed that it would be near impossible to miss the president and not have someone get hit or suffer collateral damage from the missed shot. In fact, under the Warren Commission theory, the one shot that did miss, in fact, hit bystander James Teague. He was standing by the triple overpass, and the missed shot struck the curb and hit his cheek. His testimony caused the commission to change their conclusion that all three shots from Oswald hit the car. It is also important to note that Teague was in a position that lines up with the shot from the Oswald window. Where he was standing couldn't have been a shot from the grassy knoll. The shot that wounded Teague had to come from the book depository. So someone was shooting from that window. But let's move on to the shell casings. They only ever found three. In a crime scene as large as this one, if there was a fourth shot, there would be a fourth shell and it was never found. But Scott... They picked up their spent shells and took them with them. Really? In Dealey Plaza? After shooting the president? They stopped to pick up the spent shell casing? No, they did not. Let me again ask you to think this one through. Police found three spent casings in the sniper's nest in the Oswald window. They found his rifle stashed at the other end of the sixth floor. Why? Why did Oswald hide the rifle which could be traced to him in a building that for sure would be searched and which almost certainly would result in finding the murder weapon that led directly back to him? Because it could never be taken out of Dealey Plaza. 
He did not have the time to disassemble the rifle and put it in a bag. And even if he did, no one carrying a bag big enough for a rifle was getting out of Dealey Plaza that day. Oswald, or the mysterious shooter in the book depository if you must, had no chance to get that rifle out of that building. The only option available was to stash it and flee, and that's exactly what Oswald did. He didn't even have time to pick up the three casings that could be matched to his gun and remove some of that physical evidence. Why again does this matter? Because if there was a man on the grassy knoll, or in the Daltex building, or the opposite end of the book depository on the 6th floor, or on the 5th floor, they had the same problem and would have had to leave the murder weapon. Professional assassins or not, CIA or FBI, Secret Service, professional Corsican hitmen or not, the amount of people in that plaza forbade the possibility of getting rifles out of the kill zone without being noticed by someone. It could not happen. Any assassin on the Knoll or the Daltex building would have behaved as Oswald did. They would have ditched the rifle as quickly as possible before being seen by someone and tried to blend into the crowd. They would not have wasted the time to pick up the shells. So I ask again, where are those rifles and spent shell casings? They were never found because they never existed. Before we leave this topic, though, let's discuss one more common sense issue. Let's say that some of the more extravagant conspiracies are true. There is a shooter in the Daltex building, two in the book depository, one on the grassy knoll. That's four shooters. At least two shots come from the knoll. One is for Kennedy's neck wound, and the other is for the headshot. Another comes from the Oswald window that misses and hits Teague. At least two more come from the Daltex building and the book depository. Some combination, those two shots, one of them is from the Daltex building, one from the book depository, and they hit Kennedy in the back and Connolly in the arm and the leg. So maybe there's even three more shots. So we got five or six shots. Some theories will actually talk about 10 to 12 shots fired by four to six gunmen. They're placing gunmen everywhere. They're placing gunmen, two gunmen in the book depository, uh, two gunmen in the Daltex building, a gunman on the grassy knoll, a gunman in the fifth floor of the Daltex building, a gunman on the roof of another building. The point is, is that if this is the case, These are both the greatest and worst marksmen of all time. The greatest because aside from Kennedy, Connolly, and one superficial wound to Teague, they hit no one else in an overcrowded small plaza. The worst because they fired 10 to 12 shots to inflict at most six wounds. I ask you again, what is more realistic? That one man fired three shots into a crowded plaza and each bullet is accounted for and wounded someone or that four to six men fired 10 to 12 shots into that plaza, managed only to cause damage to one bystander, ditch their rifles, no one ever finds their rifles, and the only rifle and shells that are ever found are from the Oswald window. Short of a Star Trek transporter being being used to eliminate the evidence, scenario two is just not rationally or logically possible. Let's move on to a common point that the conspiracy theorists like to make. Oswald could not have fired the three shots in the 5.6 seconds allowed, and he was found 90 seconds later on the second floor of the book depository drinking a Coke. They say the timeline is just not feasible. Well, they're wrong. It's been tested. 
The three shots can be fired in the allowed time frame by someone with marksman training like Oswald. It just takes practice to familiarize yourself with the bolt-action rifle. Oswald was a certified Marine marksman, so he was a competent shot. Contrary to popular belief that he was a bad shot, Oswald was a good shot in the Marines. He wasn't a great shot, but he's going to be better than most of you out there on the weekends at your range. Oswald knew how to handle a rifle, knew how to fire a rifle, and could hit what he was aiming at. As for getting from the 6th floor to the 2nd floor and buying a Coke, that was tested as well. All you had to do was walk briskly. You didn't even need to run. Turns out 90 seconds is a lot of time to walk across the floor of a building and down 4 flights of steps for a man who's reasonably in shape, which Oswald was. But Scott, what about Badge Man, Black Dog Man, and Umbrella Man? What about them? Umbrella Man was interviewed by the House Select Committee on Assassinations. We know who that man is. The umbrella was a reference to Kennedy's father, and it was a political protest with symbolism. He was not a signal man to tell the shooters that Kennedy was not dead and keep firing. Sure, Scott, of course that's what they would say. It was a protest. Okay, I'm not going to play this game. We know who the man is. We've interviewed the man. We at least have that as credible evidence as to who he was and what he was doing there. We have zero evidence that Umbrella Man was actually a signal man, or as some of the crazier theories say, that his umbrella fired a poison dart that paralyzed Kennedy. The umbrella fired a poison dart straight up in the air that found Kennedy in the neck. Or the firing mechanism looked like an umbrella, but the the base of the umbrella hit a poison dart that hit Kennedy in the neck, and he's such an amazing aim that he can, while opening up his umbrella, make that poison dart hit Kennedy and not hit Jackie or someone else again? It's an absurdity. Black Dog Man? This is a good one. Here's a photo that, for lack of a better description, shows a smudged, unclear image that looks either like a man or a black dog or some kind of man perched oddly on the wall by Abraham Zapruder on the grassy knoll. What about this guy? What you're seeing here is what you want to see. Some of you see a gunman who's looking to flee the area. I can also tell you it's very likely that it's just a bystander reacting to chaos going around him. Yeah, it looks suspicious. But in the end, the photo doesn't show you a man with a gun. It shows a person trapped mid-reaction. If it was a shooter, it would be worth investigation. But there's nothing in this photo that shows you conclusively this is a man with a gun or a man who has just ditched a gun. It's a man standing in the middle of the grassy knoll, and it might not even be a man. It's a smudged, unclear photo. It's probably a man. It's probably a bystander. Could be a shadow. In the end, there's nothing here. We can talk for hours about what Badge Man might be. But in the end, it's, it's inconclusive. You don't have anything. So we're going to chase this forever because of what this person might be? I can look at any bystander in the crowd and go, well, what about this guy? How do we know he wasn't the shooter? I guess we don't. Badge Man. Okay, okay. I can't completely shit on this one. I can mostly shit on it, though. In the Mary Mormon photo... Just before the fatal headshot, the grassy knoll is in the background, and just past where Zapruder is filming, 12 to 18 feet behind the fence line, the place where everybody always says one of these shooters was, there appears to be a man obscured by a muzzle flash from a rifle. In highly enhanced photos, you can see what might be a partial face, arms, and a police badge. In an enhanced speculative artist rendering to make you see this clearly, 
you then clearly see a face, arms, police badge, and other police regalia. It has been speculated that this was Corsican hitman Lucian Sarti, and that he was in Dallas that day, and this is a photo of him firing the kill shot the instant the bullet leaves. It's possible. The timing's right. If that's really a man there, and that's really a muzzle flash from a rifle, then it's just possible that this is the photo capturing the man who killed Kennedy. Problem here is that no one agrees on what this is. And when you look at the photos in normal resolution, it looks like a bunch of smudges and shadows. When you blow it up a thousand times into hyper-resolution, it still looks like a bunch of shadows. You need a lot of help, and you need a lot of enhancements to make you see what people are telling you you see with the Badgeman photo. Most likely, Badgeman is the result of shadows and sunlight bouncing off a bottle on the wall. And photos actually show there's a bottle on the wall there which supports that theory. Badgeman can only be seen if you enlarge the photo many, many, many times at the computer. And even then, I still don't know what I'm seeing. I've looked at it many, many times. Don't take my word in this one, though. Google Badgeman. Google Lucian Sarti. Tell me what you think you're looking at when you're not looking at the colorized photo. Because you're looking at the colorized photo that's a speculative enhancement done just to prove a point that it's Lucian Sarti. Of course, that's what you're going to see. If you're certain, though, in the normal non-colorized photos that you see a rifleman and you're 100% certain, that's because that's what you want to see. I don't care who you are. You don't know what you're looking at in that photo. Nobody does. That's the reason they came up with a highly colorized and speculative mock-up to make you believe then later when you look at the other photos you're seeing what they want you to. Let's move on, though, to the real centerpieces of the conspiracy theory. The single bullet theory and back and to the left. Let's start with the single bullet theory. Kevin Costner is who you're hearing in your head right now talking about a bullet that enters Kennedy's back below the shoulder, magically travels up the exit through his neck, then hangs in midair for 1.5 seconds, turns left, then right, left, then right, left, then right, to strike Connolly, and then changing direction again to end up in Connolly's thigh. Well, yeah, if that's what happened, then it's obviously complete horseshit. Except the bullet only behaves magically if you have Kennedy and Connolly in the wrong positions and the initial entrance wound in the wrong place. Specifically, the wrong position is you have Kennedy and Connolly at the same height and seated directly in front of each other as if Connolly was sitting in a normal car seat. The governor, however, was sitting inside of Kennedy and lower because he was in a specially added jump seat. This changes everything. The bullet also does not enter, enter Kennedy's back but it enters his neck. The reason that the entrance wound appears lower in some people's mind is because when you look at Kennedy's suit jacket, the entry point would be in his back. But think about when you're sitting in a car, especially if wearing a back brace, what happens to your suit jacket? It rides up. Kennedy was sitting slightly hunched over, and it enters into his neck. If you place the first shot accurate at Zapruder Film 235, the bullet does not hang in midair. And since the governor is inside of Kennedy position-wise in the car, it does not have to turn left and then right to enter the governor's arm. After exiting Kennedy, the bullet begins to yaw or tumble, breaks the governor's arm, and embeds in his thigh. This bullet is traveling on a straight path. 
It yaws as it should after exiting Kennedy, and the impact on Connolly's wrist is exactly the type of damage you would get from a tumbling bullet rather than a bullet on a, on a normal rotating trajectory. That's why it smashes and breaks his wrist instead of going right through it. it that's why parts of it are left in his wrist. The bullet is not behaving magically, but as physics dictates, it has to. The trajectory lines up perfectly to the Oswald window and a shot fired from the Oswald window, assuming the bullet enters Kennedy in the neck, high up above the shoulder, exit through his neck, above his necktie, and then continues to travel on a correct trajectory into Connolly. Again, though, don't take my word for this. This has been ballistically tested numerous times. The bullet behaves exactly as it should. People who know more than me and more than you have done the science. The single bullet theory is a single bullet fact. But Scott, the bullet was found in pristine condition. How can it have done all that damage and be in perfect condition? Pristine my ass. Look at the photos the conspiracy theorists don't show you. That bullet is smashed and twisted all to hell when you look at it from other angles. And again, this has been tested ballistically over and over. The bullets all come out looking the same as the air quotes pristine bullet when sent through similar layers of material of like density and mass. This is yet another case of the evidence actually supporting Oswald killing Kennedy but being dismissed because it doesn't fit with our own uneducated picture of how it should look. The bullet matches Oswald's gun. It matches the shell casing. The wound trajectory matches perfectly to his window, and the bullet looks exactly as it should after causing those wounds. But again, it doesn't add up to us, so we dismiss the evidence. Take emotion out of it and apply just the science. And the evidence points to only one man. But we have one more big thing to deal with. And this one, if it can be debunked, then it all falls apart for the conspiracy honks. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back into the whatever. It's not even back into the left. You got to look at it correctly. So, yeah, you're saying what, Scott? It clearly is back into the left. Not really. So, the Zapruder film shows Kennedy's head snapped violently back into the left. Wait, didn't you just say? Yeah, I did. It shows his head snapped violently back into the left after an initial forward motion. See, we think that back into the left means a shot from the right front because all we see when we look at that film in live speed is the president slammed and lifted up violently to the back and the left of the car. And it makes sense to us. But the only reason it makes sense is because we don't know what we don't know. We don't know our own ignorance. First, the direction of the president's movements does not indicate which way the shot came from. When your brain is annihilated by a bullet and destroyed, the trauma creates an overload of activity in the nervous system as the brain sends out its death messages of panic. This spasm can cause the body to violently move in any direction. This reaction has been tested on animals. Why, I don't know, but people shot animals to figure this out, and it's been observed in combat and other situations. After your head is destroyed and your brain dies... Your body can react in any convulsive way because the brain is sending confused messages to all your muscles and your body is going what's called a neuroleptic spasm. But even if you don't want to take my word for that, even if you want to say BS, he's moving back into the left, that means the bullet came from the right front. Well, 
it's only the end movement that is back into the left. If you look at the position of Kennedy's head in Zapruder frame 312, the exact moment before the impact, and line it up, draw lines in the film, compare where he is to Jackie, and then look at frame 313, which is when he is hit. His head is pushed forward because that's the initial impact of the bullet coming from the Oswald window. It's pushed forward and down, exactly the way your head would react initially from a bullet hitting it. But there's more important information that all of you can see. There's a halo of brain matter surrounding the president's head, and it is all in the front of his head. Why? Because the bullet that entered from the rear of his head is blasting that brain matter and blood forward out of the exit wound. Scroll forward a couple more frames and you'll see something very disturbing. The president's brains slopping out of the front of his head. Out of the front of his head. Why? because the brains are falling out of the massive exit wound in the front of his head because there isn't one in the back of his head to fall out of because the entrance wound is smaller than the exit wound. The brains are slopping out of the front of his head. The halo and all of the ejecta coming out of his head is in front of his head because it's being pushed out and forward from a shot from the rear. Take a look at that. That evidence and the initial forward motion of his head is the conclusive evidence here. The snap reaction back into the left is the neuroleptic spasm that has been sent through to his muscles and his body in its death throes. The Zapruder film does tell you where the shot came from. It's just not where the conspiracy theorists want it and need it to be from. It has been 54 years since President Kennedy was tragically murdered by Lee Harvey Oswald. 54 years from now, people will still be saying that we will never know who killed him. Except we do. Let me paint you a picture of what I think happened. Lee Harvey Oswald always wanted to be someone. He left America for Russia because he thought, as an American Marine with radar information, he would be important, both to the government and that the civilians there would idolize him for being an American defector. I mean, even if the government didn't have something for him, the American defector would be a person of some fame, right? Except Russia wasn't what he expected. His secrets were useless. Russia already had that knowledge. He had nothing to offer them. People who debriefed Oswald in Russia had said he had nothing we were interested in. And honestly, no one cared about the American in Russia. He wasn't that much of a novelty. He didn't have the fame or the success he wanted there, so he came home with his Russian bride. He then thought when he came home, he could be someone by getting involved in the Fair Play for Cuba Committee and the Marxist movement on the ground in America. I mean, he was a man who lived in Russia. He had a Russian bride. The local Marxists would love him, right? Except we got to remember that Oswald was an incompetent fuck-up. His fair play for Cuba chapters never amounted to anything. So he moved to Dallas, where he couldn't hold a job. He could never hold a job. He always had problems with it. He could barely support his wife and child, and he fought with his wife and physically abused her. At the time of the assassination, he and Marina had been estranged. So we have a young man who has always thought that he was destined for great things in reality, was dirt poor with no legitimate career prospects and had failed at everything he had ever tried and was watching his marriage fall apart. He decided infamy was better than being a nobody. So he tried to kill General Edwin Jackson and failed. Who? 
You didn't know that? Yeah, he tried to kill a general shortly before killing Kennedy. We know it from his diary and his wife. But Lee had figured, hey, if I can't be someone, I can be someone by killing someone. Even a fuck-up like Oswald can change the world by killing an important man. And when Kennedy came to town, with the motorcade coming by his office, well, this was Lee's second chance to be someone. And he was going to take it, and he did take it. And as sad as it is, as despicable as it is, you know the name Lee Harvey Oswald, and you never would have otherwise. And it's really that simple. All the physical evidence ever found points to Oswald. The gun was his. The shell casings matched the bullets that he put in his gun. No other guns were ever found in Dealey Plaza. No other shell casings. No other spent bullets. No other injured bystanders except for James Teague. When confronted in the theater, he initially tried to fire his gun at the cops, but it misfired. Oswald's behavior after the shooting is not that of an innocent man. He went home, changed his clothes, grabbed a gun, killed a cop, and hid in the theater, and then tried to go out guns blazing, except his cheap-ass gun failed. All the forensic evidence we do have supports a shot from the Oswald window. Then there's just common sense. Seriously, if there were four to six shooters and ten to twelve shots, where are those rifles? How did no one see any of those other shooters, and where are those casings and missed shots? How did they not hit anyone else surrounding the motorcade? Are there things that don't make sense or things that were handled poorly? Yes, the autopsy, the fight over the body, the fight over jurisdictional control, Jack Ruby shooting Oswald, Jack Ruby's entire involvement in actions that weekend don't make sense. You could and people have wrote many books on Jack Ruby. I can't even begin to explain Jack Ruby. I'd even concede to you that maybe... Rogue elements of the CIA or FBI did go through back channels to pay Jack Ruby to eliminate Lee Harvey Oswald so that he couldn't go to trial and expose the fact that they knew about him and failed to identify the potential threat. It's about as far as I'll go at this point, but yeah, there's things that don't make sense. But most of these things are common to any investigation. We just don't dig deep enough and kick the anthill over to figure it out. In almost any investigation, you're going to have jurisdictional pissing matches between federal and state. You're going to have evidence mishandled due to confusion, panic, and quite frankly, human incompetence. It's a shame that the autopsy was so screwed up because that information would decisively solve any questions out there. You could do a real forensic analysis of the damage of Kennedy's brain and tell where the bullet had to have come from beyond any shadow of a doubt. But we don't have that evidence. We have conflicting reports. We have people from Parkland Hospital who said one thing in 1963 and started saying another thing in the late 80s. We don't know what happened. We've got dueling autopsy reports and dueling medical reports. So when that information is in conflict, you have to dismiss it and go to the only information that is concrete that you have to make a decision on. In the end, the preponderance of evidence points to one man, Lee Harvey Oswald. He is the only man we can put in Dealey Plaza that day with a gun in his hand. In 54 years, we cannot put anyone else there with any remote certainty. The case that will never be solved, was solved the day it happened. In any court in the world, Oswald would be convicted based on the physical and forensic evidence obtained. Take Kennedy's name out of this case. Take Oswald's name out of it. Change the location. Then tell the Warren Commission version and see if anyone questions who killed Kennedy. I know Oswald as the killer is boring. 
a massive conspiracy is much more exciting. If you want to believe it exists, fine. But after 54 years, if you haven't found the smoking gun yet, it's probably because it doesn't exist and it is what it appears to be. This has been a quick rant. Well, (laughs) a long-ass rant. A raving lunatic media production. As always, thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, seriously, go leave me a five-star review in the iTunes store. and to the left, back and to the left, back and to the left. Raving Lunatic Media! Dot com.